Welcome to the Advent Project for United Baptist Church. In the process of discerning the direction for what Advent might look for United Baptist Church this year, a friend suggested turning to the scripture verses found in George Friedrich Handel's Messiah. And it's been a joy spending time with these passages as they've come alive through the brilliant score that uh, we believe that God had inspired Handel to write. Uh, Messiah is often cited as the most performed and best-known work of classical music ever written. Of course, there are some who feel the popularity of Messiah makes it a little more than a passé holiday tradition. Yet, British composer and musician David Owen Norris sees Messiah as a sophisticated musical masterpiece filled with grace, monumentality, and mystery. Uh, we agree. It's a work of timeless beauty that each encounter offers fresh and stirring insight. Handel, a musical genius of German heritage, became a naturalized British citizen in 1726, where the monarchy and other distinguished clients were his patrons. A vast output spanning a wide variety of musical forms characterized his career. Handel was originally most invested in the Italian opera genre and wrote over 40 operas during his lifetime. At a certain point, however, interest in opera began to wane in London. And as a result, Handel fell into debt and was threatened with debtor's prison. So in 1741, when he received a commission from the Lord Lieutenant of Dublin to write an oratorio, which is a large-scale religious choral work performed without costumes, scenery, or actions, just choir on the life of Christ, Handel welcomed the opportunity. The oratorio was a risky new musical form, but being creative... Handel rose to the occasion and completed 259-page score in just 24 days. Handel composed Messiah at a time when he was being threatened with financial ruin. It is no accident that his most profound and lasting contribution came in the midst of personal crisis. Passionate artistic works are often birthed through canals or channels of suffering. Fortunately, the Irish debut of Messiah was a rousing success, received funds from endeavored uh, from the endeavor freed uh, 163 inmates from debtor's prison and made it possible for Handel to reverse his own financial misfortunes. Scripture passages from Messiah were selected by uh, Charles Jennings, a devout Christian and colleague of Handel's who hoped a new oratorio on the life of Christ might encounter the rise of deism, might counter the rise of deism in the British Isles. Jennings divided the oratorio into three parts. The first foretells the coming of Christ, his birth, and life. The second deals with his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension. While the third portion offers hymns of gratitude, songs of thanksgiving for all that Christ has done. Like his contemporary, Johann Sebastian Bach, Handel wrote Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone, at the end of the Messiah transcript. And over the years, Messiah has proved to be one sustained, resounding hymn of praise to the glory of God. Bible teacher John Piper argues that holiness is the quality of perfection and, and infinite value. While glory is the manifest beauty of Christ's holiness, glory is the infinite beauty uh, and greatness of God's manifold perfection. Piper goes on to say that the glory of God is perfectly reflected in Christ is the greatest thing in the universe. By focusing on God's glory, Handel and Jennings offer a majestic portrait of Christ, a timeless Savior who meets every longing and satisfies every need. More than any other book of the Bible, Jennings quotes from Isaiah, the prophet who is consumed with the glory of God. 
Old Testament scholar Drew Hunter writes, It's no surprise that a repeated command throughout Isaiah is to sing for joy. This is the fitting response to what we find here. For Isaiah displays for us God in all his holiness, the gospel in all its grace, and our future with all its glory. Isaiah is a treasure because it helps us treasure Christ. We warmly invite you to join us over the next six weeks as we delve into art, prayer, and the spiritual truths found in each day of Advent. While the scripture texts from Messiah appear here, uh, because the way the topics are arranged, uh, not all of the verses are in chronological order, as you'll see as the weeks, as the days uh, go on. In normal times, we would have highly recommended you and your family and friends to go see a live performance of Messiah in your area. Instead, we recommend that sometime during the next six weeks, you set a time uh, aside couple hours to view an online performance of the entire Messiah. We guarantee that your heart will be warmed and your spirit will be renewed in these dark, strange, and troubling days. First day. The prophetic utterances concerning the coming of Christ. Bible scholars tell us that there are over 350 Old Testament prophecies regarding Christ, the Messiah, and his appearance on earth. Author K. Arthur suggests Quote, it's as if God was shouting, Christmas is coming. 21 verses from the book of Isaiah are found in Handel's Messiah. It's the most frequently quoted book in the entire oratorio. Isaiah was one of the great prophets who ministered in the 8th century before Christ, a century of tremendous upheaval and unrest. Isaiah was called to bring God's truth to the children of Israel, both messages of warning as well as comfort. He spoke frankly about the people's rampant addiction to sin and the complete destruction that would soon be visited upon them if they did not repent. Of course, the majority did not listen to Isaiah, and as a result, drought, famine, exile, and foreign occupation followed. Yet, there was a remnant who clung to the prophecies of hope that Isaiah had also proclaimed. These people longed for deliverance and a ruler who would make everything right. Sometimes Isaiah is called the quote-unquote evangelical prophet or the quote-unquote prophet of the good news because he foresaw and recorded the divine mission of the Messiah like no other. He spoke in lucid details about the coming of the Son of God and vividly described the cross and the suffering Messiah. The heart of Isaiah's writings depicts the substitutionary death of Christ. His righteousness for us sinners. Almost 3,000 years later, Isaiah's beautifully poetic language continues to stir our hearts as we drink in his divinely inspired words. Here's a scripture for today. Isaiah 41-2 Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I should note that uh, throughout this entire Advent season, we'll be quoting from the King James Version, just as it was in the original uh, Messiah oratorio. A poetry reading for today. Witnessed by Denise Levertov. Sometimes the mountain is hidden from me in veils of cloud. Sometimes I am hidden from the mountain in veils of inattention, apathy, fatigue, when I forget or refuse to go down to the shore or a few yards up the road on a clear day to reconfirm that witnessing presence. As wonderful verses 
as wonderful as verses uh, 1 and 2 of Isaiah 40 might be, they fit within a chapter containing an overall message that makes these two verses even sweeter. Reading the 31 verses of this chapter, it's not difficult to see clearly the threefold structure. Verses 1 to 11 serve as the introduction to the promise of worldwide salvation. Verses 12 to 26 set forth the premise that God is more than capable of fulfilling his promise. Verses 27 to 31 conclude that even before the actual fulfillment of this promise, one can live above present difficulty and enjoy the pleasures of God's enabling presence. In chapters 1 to 39, Isaiah has confronted the sins of his generation. The picture is bleak. But chapter 40 catapults the reader into the future, offering a promise of what God's amazing mercy can accomplish in the lives of sinful people. The promise is offered to people who are experiencing anything but mercy. They're in captivity, enduring 70 years of exile from their homeland, the memories of which have all but disappeared. The sights are different. The smells are different. The tastes are different. The people and customs are different. The Israelites have started businesses and adopted their new culture. Some like Daniel and Esther have even risen to high, the highest places of governmental authority and position. Sons and daughters have been born who no longer speak the language of their parents. They play with children who have a different worldview. They have never seen their homeland. They have a new home now. In many ways, perhaps the Israelites feel that they have been forgotten by God. But then, God speaks. In Isaiah 40, 1-11, God speaks 11 imperatives. Six of these imperatives have to do with God moving towards his people. It's this movement of God towards his people that offers the only hope. If left to themselves, there would be no hope, only more of a culture that would continue to move them away from the ancient paths. In the context of their failure, God speaks, Comfort, O comfort my people, speak kindly to Jerusalem. In the midst of their pain, God provides hope. He also provides the means for his people to rise above the difficulty and experience him in his glory. This amazing God still speaks today. In the midst of our own failure, he speaks comfort. In the midst of our pain, he offers hope. He provides the means for us to rise above all the difficulty and experience him and his glory through the gospel. The essence of the gospel is that God desires relationship with his creation, so he moves toward them. In fact, Christianity is all about the saving grace of the Lord. He overrules our foolishness and rebellion with his own pardon through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Do we sin? Yes. Do we experience his discipline as a result? Yes. Is that where God leaves us? No. God moves towards us and cries out, Comfort, O comfort my people. It was not only his message to Israel, it is also his message to us today. Do you believe God can bring comfort? According to Isaiah 40, 27, Israel wondered, even doubted, and maybe you do too, but God was able to make good his promise to Israel. If you look at verses 12 to 26, and he's able to make good his promise to you. He moves toward and he comforts, and this is our amazing God. Lord, thank you for your promise to move toward me. Help me to know your presence, to experience your goodness, and to rest in your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Comfort my people, said our King. Comfort them. Comfort them. They have suffered long enough. 
friend there. 